now, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word of my mouth and warn them from me. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Coming to you from an undisclosed location in Middle Tennessee and examining current events from a biblical perspective, this is Bible News Radio with your hosts, Randall and Stacy Harp.
you know what I'm talking about, okay? So I'm just trying to stay true Jew here. And uh, yeah, all I can say is open up that book, yeah. I came up, I saw it, I opened up that book. Now look at me, I'm hooked on the truth, yeah. I saw it, I opened up that book. Now look at me, I'm hooked on the truth, yeah. I saw it, I opened up that book. Now look at me, I'm hooked on the truth, yeah. I saw it, I opened up that book. Now look at me, I'm hooked on the truth, yeah. Okay, it says here in Luca 10, that's right, 16, he who hears you hears me. He who rejects you rejects me. And he who rejects me rejects him who, who sent me. Figure it out. Yeah. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Yeah, yeah he is. I had no idea about this either, yo. Believe me, I had to suffer just to keep with the truth, but it's okay. Whatever. I give my life over to God. That's a big move. Real. Hello, people. Hey, good evening. I hope you like that song. That's one of my favorite songs. That was Aviad Cohen. And uh, what, I, what I can tell you is that he is now with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, but his music lives on. He was actually a very popular Jewish rapper. Rapper as an R-A-P-P-E-R. <laughs> Not as in rapper, like W-R-A-P-P-E-R. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know why that came to my mind, but whatever. Anyway, um, and um, anyway, he, he became a follower of Christ and changed his life forever. And um, and so I just, I love that song because it's, it's like, you know, he talks about open up that book. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, here it is. Here's my book. I love this book. This is my favorite book in the world. Um, and so tonight I'm going to read from the book and then we're going to look at some news having to do with uh, some recent uh, anti-Semitism. And we're going to we're going to share a couple of good things. So if you don't mind, do me a favor, buddy, old pal, share this out wherever you're at. And uh, just want to say hi to you. If you want to say hi, if you want me to say hi to you personally, then leave your name so I can see it somewhere. And uh, if you don't, well, then that's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It's all right. Hey, Tracy. All right. Tracy's over on Facebook. So nice to see you. Okay. So let's, let's look in the Gospel of John. Uh, and, and you don't have to throw that completely up on the screen. But I want to read this. Here it is. Gospel of John, Chapter 8. But Jesus went... To the Mount of Olives. Yeah, he did. And early in the morning, he came again into the temple. And all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and he began to teach them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. And having set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? And they were saying this, testing him in order that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. 
But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. I'll just stop here for a sec. Okay. So picture this environment. You have all these people, right? You got this woman who, who no doubt was crying probably and I, I picture her, I don't know why, this is just me, but this is how I, I've always pictured this. So here she is, she's wearing a dress, uh, she was caught in adultery, she's got long black hair, she's got tears coming down her face, maybe some lipstick, I don't know. But she's there, and clearly she was caught in the act of adultery, which, you know, is a is a shameful thing, right? I mean, it's it's something that nobody would want to actually get caught in, you know, bust like you're busted, you know. I mean, if you if you've ever watched a soap opera, then you see these things acted out all the time, and the drama is when they're caught, right? You know, and then the storyline, you know, just pitters down there. So here's this woman though; she's being brought before Christ by these religious folk, and 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 not really because of her per se, but because they wanted to test Jesus, you know, um, this is about picking on Jesus, really think about it. Um, and so, so, um, they, they, they say to him, um, uh, they were saying this testing him. Have you ever thought about that? How the nerve that these guys had to test Jesus? I mean, come on. Anyway, they're, they're testing Jesus. Um, in order that they might find grounds to accuse them. So Jesus stooped down and with his finger, he wrote on the ground. And this is how I've heard this taught before. And this is just speculation, but we don't know if Jesus was right-handed or left-handed. I would guess he was probably right-handed because the majority of people are. I personally happen to be both. I'm, I write right-handed, but I can write left-handed. I'm kind of weirdo that way. I can, you know, whatever. Anyway. But he reached down and he wrote something on the on the ground. And, you know, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, he was probably writing something. Whatever. I don't think it I don't think it I don't think that's the point of the scripture. I think the point of the scripture is that he was writing with his finger. Which. Which is how the Ten Commandments were carved by God with his finger. And I think it's kind of a subtle reference to the fact that he is God. But anyway, that's just me. I could be wrong. But um, they ignored whatever it was he wrote. And then in verse 7, it says, But when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And why, why did, you know, we see this as a saying, right? Hey, you know. He who is without sin can cast the first stone. We we look at this in the Western world as a very uh, figurative thing. You know, we're not literally going to pick up a stone and clobber somebody with it if they're doing something wrong. But in that culture, uh, adultery was punishable by death and stoning was the actual way they did it. They actually took stones and they threw them at whoever it was and, until they were dead. Very much like they do in Islam today. Don't don't say that too loud, though, because, you know, Islam's a religion of peace, just so you know. Okay, anyway. anyway. So, um, 
So in verse 8, and then it says, And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And when they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone. And the woman where she was in the mist, um, and, and straightening up again. Notice it says twice that Jesus straightened up. Kind of interesting. And he said, Woman, where are they? Did no one condemn you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way from now, from now on and sin no more. Why is that important? Well, the reason why that is important is because Jesus could have condemned her because Jesus was without sin. Jesus had no sin. He had the power to condemn her he had the power to kill her right dead, dead there on the spot he would have had every every act every freedom to kill her if he wanted to but he didn't and why is that why why do you think jesus didn't kill her well i think it's because he loves her and I think because Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. We see that in, the, in John chapter 3, if you go back a few chapters in this book. Now let's look forward a little bit more later in this chapter, in John chapter 8. Let's jump over to verse 31. So it says here, in, in verse 31, it says here, Jesus, therefore, was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's offspring, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say, You shall become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin, and the slave does not remain in the house forever, the son does remain forever. If therefore the son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's offspring, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father, therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. And they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. And they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do, why do you not understand what I'm saying? Is it because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father, the devil. And you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 
whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. The Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died and the prophets also. And you said, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste of death. And then it it goes on here. It says, uh, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say, he is our God. And you have not come to know him, but I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. The Jews therefore said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. So, why do I read this? Because, ah, this is so... This is so good. Uh, you know, I wish I had five hours. I could just like totally take this out here and just uh, like rip this piece apart here. I mean, this John chapter eight. I mean, and I didn't even read the whole chapter. I only read part of it is it's um, it's it's such an indicator of today in many ways. Right. I mean, Jesus is here dealing with people who were religious. They thought they knew him. But here he is speaking clearly about who who he and the father are, who he is. He clearly said, I am, which was God's name. Um, He challenged the religious folk of the day and they were not getting it. I mean, it was going way over their head. (laughs) They're like, what? What are you talking about? And, and, you know, it's slightly humorous, a little bit to me, um, because I picture, maybe it's because I have Hollywood in my head, but I, I have all these pictures of these religious folk with their long robes and their long beards and all that stuff. Um, but I, I, what, what's, what, what the issue is, and they completely skirt around, they don't even address it, is sin. They completely... They, they, if you read this again and go back and read it later, Jesus is trying to tell them that they're in bondage to sin and that he came to set them free. And by the way, people take these verses out of context all the time. It drives me crazy. But he's telling them how that they can be free. He's telling them that if your word is abiding in you, then you're a disciple. If it's not, you're in bondage. And, um, you know, and, and they're just like, they're, they're like ignoring the whole sin part and, and they're, 
it's like semantics with them. Like, well, he's you're not your father. Well, and Jesus is basically like, well, actually, he's not your father either. And Abraham, just so you know, you should be, but you're not. And this is how it's going, folk. You know, and and so why do I bring that up? Because because the God of Scripture is a loving God, uh, and the more you spend time in His Word the more you're going to see that love. And, you know, right now the world has lost its mind, I think. It, uh, you, know, um, you know, we're in the middle of an election cycle. People are freaking out about whoever the next president is going to be. Um, people are leaving Facebook and Twitter and they're, they're going to alternative platforms because they think that they're going to find comfort and solace in those platforms because of the politics of the day. But I'm here to tell you in love, that, that ain't going to change you. What's going to change you is when you spend more time with the Lord in his book. You know, Jesus loves you. He loves everybody. And he didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came into the world to, to save the world. You know, today, one of my friends um, in uh, our daily disciples group, I, I just am so thankful for my friends in the daily disciples group, not only who go in and watch the people who are reading the word of God, but those who have taken up their time to open the word and to read it. And today, Tom read in John chapter three, and he read that famous passage about, you know, God for God so loved the world, right? You know, and, 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 you know, he wants us to be born again. This week I had a very sweet experience with a couple of people where um, where it was clear that God is pursuing somebody and they're hurt. And some people in the world might get upset or maybe even some people in the church might get upset because because there's a struggle there trying to expose, you know what, hey, even though that really bad thing happened to you, even though that circumstance maybe devastated your heart beyond words, there's a God whose love is like a blanket who can fill you up, who can warm you up, who can heal you from the inside out, and he can take care of you no matter what. And yeah, maybe you feel vulnerable. Maybe you feel like you don't get God's word. Maybe you feel like maybe you're somebody who has a struggle. Maybe you really do struggle with understanding the word of God. Well, I'm going to tell you something. For me, um, how do I say this? There are times I struggle with it, but I think God has given me the gift of, of understanding and teaching the word. So I don't struggle with it that way. But I do struggle with learning in a way. Uh, you know, I, I have a very, um, I'm a gifted kid. Let's put it that way. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm gifted. <laughs> I don't know how to put that in any other vernacular, except that's what I was told. But that doesn't mean I'm super smart. It means that I struggle and I learn different. And I mean, I remember in school, I would rip up my, I, I asked Randall, I, I would rip my books up. I, I would throw things. I get so frustrated because at times I just could not grasp what I was trying or I was being told that I have to learn. But with the gospel, 
it's so simple that a child can learn it. It's so simple that an illiterate person can learn it. It's so simple that a deaf person can hear it. It's so simple that a blind person can see it. And yet the world is doing everything in its power to make sure that you don't see that you don't look at it. So anyway, so tonight one of the interesting things that that I need to share is that you know Jesus really loves you. And just like the woman caught in adultery, he had every power in the world to kill her, but he didn't. Why? Why? Why do you think Jesus didn't kill her? Because he loves her. That's why. You know, the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, if you're like me, I'm so sorry. <laughs> that was supposed to be funny. But here's the thing. If you're like me, sometimes when you sin, uh, and, and I do all the time. I, do I did today. I know I did. Um, sometimes you do it willingly. Sometimes you sin and you're like, well, you know what? I don't really care. I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. And you harden your heart and you're like, Bleh. and then you feel like, you know what? God, I completely blew it again. I cannot believe that I did that. Yeah, I can. I did it on purpose. I feel bad that I even did that on purpose. I didn't want to do it on purpose, but yeah, I did because I did, you know, and, and there's this struggle between this, the, the spirit and the flesh. And you're like, oh, God, well, he, well, he, why, why does he love me so much that he's still, you know, he, he, he hasn't shot me dead yet. You know, God, how dare you do that again? <laughs> it's like, well, it's because we don't, we can't comprehend how much he loves us. Um, the cross of Jesus Christ, you know, right now, I think in the world, there's a lot of people who go to churches that dismiss Jesus's, the cross, right? There's not crosses in churches. In fact, all over the world where, where Christians are being persecuted, the cross is being ripped off. Churches and churches are being destroyed. So when you remove the cross out of Christianity and you have a crossless Christianity, you don't have Christianity at all because Jesus went to the cross to pay for my sin. And that was a brutal death. And he didn't have to do it. You know, he chose to do it because the Bible says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, what's that joy that was set before him? It was our time with him. In eternity future where he you know we who accept what Jesus did we are we are gonna have the opportunity to have this big huge um, supper it, it's I, I used to many years ago I'm, I know I'm kind of gone long and forgive me for that but I have to just share this many years ago I was invited to a wedding uh, in fact I know whose it is I'm not gonna say whose it is but I really didn't want to go to it because I don't really like getting dressed up. I'm not a big fan of high heels. I'm not a fan of fancy schmancy stuff. This is me, jeans and a t-shirt. It's That's me. Um, and it was like a wedding. Ugh, you know, and you, you hear people go, oh, I don't want to go to this wedding. Gotta get all dressed up. Kill three or four hours of my day. The food is horrible. It's, you know, blah, blah, blah. But 
here's the thing. When you're invited to a wedding of somebody you really love and you want to see the bridegroom and the bride get together and you're super excited and happy for them, it is one of the happiest and most joyful occasions of your life. And you cannot wait. And especially if it's your wedding. Randall and I got married 28 years ago plus. And my wedding had very few people from my side of of the fence at it, but we had probably, I don't know, a couple hundred people at our wedding. Um, and it was really a big, huge gospel event. Um, we didn't serve alcohol or anything, which kind of ticked off a lot of people, but whatever. We had communion. We had somebody singing a song with doing sign language. Um, and we put Jesus at the center of our, our wedding. Um, it was very low budget. I mean, I had balloons, like, you know, the type of balloons you buy at target in the package you had to blow them up <laughs> um had no photographer had somebody volunteer to be the photographer and so all my wedding pictures basically it's the back of my head in the front of randall's face you know <laughs> with, two volunteer photographers with, with occasional you know like stuff but it wasn't like it was documented really great you know <laughs> but but it was my wedding you know it was my wedding i got to dress up in this big white beautiful wedding gown uh, which I, which again was probably the last time I wore a dress because it was, it was, it was just like, there I was, pure virgin. Yeah, I was walking down that aisle towards my bridegroom, completely madly in love with my husband to be, and there he was, waiting behind a piano, getting ready to sing a love song to me that he wrote, and I was standing there with my dad. My dad was so proud to have me on his arm, and my dad gave me away and hooked me to my, my husband who I've now been with for 28 plus years. It was a beautiful thing. Um, and every year on my anniversary, I'm still amazed that I still have the best husband in the entire world. Aww. It's so true. It just makes me want to cry right now thinking about how wonderful my husband is. He's awesome. He's a pain in the butt occasionally, but generally well, speaking, you know, he's awesome. Um, so, so because it was my wedding, I'm super great. I get to go to it. Well, the wedding feast of the lamb, that's ahead, peeps. That is ahead. We're on our way to a wedding. If you know Jesus, you're on your way to the best wedding ever. <laughs> and the wedding feast, it's going to be the, the, the being united with the bridegroom and the church, the bride. And the bride is, is, is comprised of every tribe, every tongue, every nation under heaven that God created because he loves us all. Because he died to kill sin and give us that free gift of eternal life. But here's the thing. People don't want that. And the people hate the Jews because they don't understand what great love that is that that's been delivered to them. See, Jesus came to the Jewish people because they were anticipating the Messiah. In the Old Testament, the whole Old, Te Old Testament is nothing but a big long narrative about the coming Messiah that was going to show up to Israel and say, Ta-da! Here I am, Israel! I'm your Messiah! I love you so much! You know, and the, and the, you know, they were, they're like, hey, you know what? 
this is a good thing. And on Palm Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday, when all of a sudden the triumphal entry, Jesus is on a donkey that was prepared from before, whenever, he's on there and they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This was him saying, hello, Israel, I am your Messiah, I am here. And they're all celebrating, right? For a few days. Then next thing you know, dun, 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 there was this big shift in events where all the gates of hell prevailed and and next thing you know they're yelling crucify him crucify him thereby fulfilling old testament bible prophecy they crucified jesus who laid down his life willingly but they crucified him next thing you know jesus is dead he's dead not a bone is broken fulfilling bible prophecy and he was buried in a rich man's tomb and then a couple days later the most amazing event in the history of the world took place and that was the tomb was found empty and the stone which was this massive huge stone was literally rolled away and when the woman went in and there was this angel it said hey why hey you know he's not here just so you know he is living now this is hugely significant because when the woman was told that Jesus was alive in that culture, her testimony was considered completely invalid in a court of law. It wouldn't have held up, so it wouldn't have mattered because she was a lowly woman in that culture. But see, Jesus elevates women. She goes and tells the disciples. The disciples go check it out. And uh, yeah, they can't find the body or anything. And I love the New Testament because in the New Testament... Um, we have objections to the resurrection right there in the text. And people who um, often come, come against scripture and they'll say things like, well, yeah, Jesus, it, you know, he didn't really die on the cross. He was kind of dead, only half dead. He was kind of, he wasn't even really slightly dead. He, you know, he was just swooning there and they went and they hid his body, right? People will actually say that today. They'll say, oh yeah, no, he wasn't, no, they hid his body. He was buried somewhere else. You know, he really is dead. And so we see these objections in in the scripture to this big miraculous event called the resurrection. But what nobody can really explain is the birth of the church and what happened a couple days later when Jesus showed up. He shows up and he starts popping into rooms with, you know, without walking through the door. (laughs) Poof. I, I so, so, so wished I could have been there for that. I was telling somebody recently, that's kind of like a, a modern day Zoom room. You just pop into the breakout room. <laughs> Poof, here I am. What are you doing here? <laughs> just checking on you. Um, but Jesus then appeared to over 500 people at one time. And if you know anything about psychology and hallucinations, that is not possible. There's no such thing as a mass hallucination that uh, everybody is going to be like hallucinating the same exact thing. Um so he does this. He shows up on the road to Emmaus. He tell he boy, I wished I was with those guys. And he talked to them for miles and talked to them about like from the Old Testament to then and talked about how he was the fulfillment of the coming Messiah. And the story goes on. This is just a love story that is everlasting unfolding and all that so the question is why do people why do people hate the jewish people why does israel reject jesus as their messiah 
And what does the Bible actually say about it? And what are we seeing today in light of, you know, current events? Well, believe it or not, we're going to talk about that, even though this show's like three quarters over. <laughs> um, because I, I really, I just wanted to lay that out to you because there's, there, there is a lot, a lack of understanding in the church about the role of Israel and the Jewish people. A lot, and, and unfortunately, it's because a lot of pastors don't read the Word of God. They don't study it. They don't understand it. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough saying, if you will, um, and all that. But before we get into some of these news stories, Randall, do you want to pop on? <laughs> Say hi. I've said a whole bunch. Ivan's son, hello. Um, I know Mia's over there, and Rachel's there, and um, I don't know who else is there. Patricia, hey, thank you for coming in. James, nice to see you. K1, nice to see you um, over there on Periscope. And anybody else who's watching, glad you're there. There's Bareface over there. Somewhere. Some somewhere. Maybe here. Hmm. Yeah, you know it's interesting when you uh, mentioned, uh, you know, even the illiterate understanding the gospel, and got a flashback to Amistad, the movie. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the Bible scene in there. If you don't know what I'm talking about, y'all go look it up on YouTube. Just go search um, Amistad movie Bible scene, something like that. And uh, yeah. So, you want to get into our title subject here? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so which one do you think we should do first? Well, kind of build up to it. Maybe start with why Jews are called the people of the book, and then anti-Semitism, what fuels it, what it is, and then, then the unfortunate incident in Michigan. Okay. So, I'm actually waiting for this page to load on, on, my, <laughs> on my computer. So I could probably read it from the screen there. I don't know why it's not loading. That's weird. I will shut that tab. Yeah, I will. And then I'll go over here where I sent you this here, and I will try to find it here. Let's see if it will open up. Yeah, I just thought this was an interesting article. Um, okay, there we go. It's all loaded now. Yeah, it is. So why are the Jews called the people of the book? This is by Alan Rosenblum. Rosenbaum, rather. Uh, Jews have always had a special reverence and appreciation for books. Now, I'm part Jewish, so I can totally concur with this. Since time time immemorial, yeah, I know, (laughs) the Jewish people have been known as the people of the book, while historically the term originates from Islam, which I don't know if that's true or not, but whatever. It It is? Okay. Yeah, ask any Muslim, the Jews referred to the people. Okay. The people of the book. Which categorized the Jews as people of the book, meaning those who possessed an earlier revelation from God that was written down. The term most often refers to the intimate connection between the Jews and the Torah, which is the Hebrew Bible, also known as the Tanakh. Those and, are different, but anyway. Okay. Yeah. And the many books associated with it, such as the Talmud, commentaries, the codes of Jewish law. Judaism reveres the written word from the Torah scroll that is painstakingly written on parchment to the printed Talmud that contains the rabbinic explanations of the Bible. Jews were among the first to take advantage of the printing press when it was invented in the mid-1500s, and the Bible, Talmud, and prayer book quickly became standard Hebrew printed works. 
Jews have always had a special reverence and appreciation for books. Harry Wolfson, the early 20th century Harvard scholar and historian, and the first chairman of a Judaic Studies Center in the United States, was once confronted by a co colleague who said, Why do you Jews think you're so special? <laughs> Wolfson is reputed to have responded, as far as I know, we are the only people who, when we drop a book on the floor, we pick it up and kiss it. All right. I laughed when I read that. You know why? Because, because I have done that. <laughs> Not knowing that, that's actually funny, especially like, like my Bible. I totally have kissed my Bible. But anyway, all right. Anyway, it says here, the Bible is the best selling book of all time. And 93% of Israelis, according to a 2013 survey, have a copy of the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible, in their homes. The Bible is presented to Jewish IDF soldiers upon their taking the army oath of allegiance, symbolizing the connection between the Jewish people, its land, and the book of books. It is no wonder that the Jews are justly called the people of the book. And speaking of that, I have, I want to show you something. Please stand by. So I interviewed a couple years ago um, a rabbi who's not a Messianic rabbi from Israel 365. And this was, um, this is called the Israel Bible from Israel 365. Uh, I got to show it there. All right. So this is, they literally sent me this, this Bible from Israel. Uh, as you can see, it's very big. Um, and what's cool about it is that it opens up, if you open it up, you read it from right to left or the other, the opposite of what we read it. Um, so, so like it opens this way and it's, it's the whole Hebrew thing. So it has, it has the English on one side and it has the Hebrew on the other side. Um, I don't know if you can see that very well, but probably not, but, um, but anyway, <laughs> um, they, they actually, it says here on the back of this, the Israel Bible is the world's first Tanakh Hebrew Bible to highlight the special relationship between the land of the, pe the land and the people of Israel. Uh, through traditional and contemporary Jewish sources, the Israel Bible seeks to present God's eternal and unchanging love for the promised land and his chosen people from biblical times unto today. And then it gives a, um, it gives a, it actually gives a, you know, more description about what's in here. But yeah, this, this is one of my treasured possessions because this literally flew from Israel and, and came to me. Um, all that but <clears throat> anyway okay uh all right so let's do the jewish no okay you want me to do that one all right yeah, I do. okay so this is from the new york times and i gotta scroll up here okay so the title of this article is anti-semitism and what feeds it and by the way before i forget next friday night uh, my friend olivia uh, olivia olivier <laughs> melnick um, who is the director uh, he's the northwest regional director 
and director of training for Chosen People Ministries is going to be my guest. Uh, he's a friend of mine. We've had him on our show numerous times because we always, we're always at NRB together. And um, anyway, he has a whole book about the new anti-Semitism and he tracks anti-Semitism. So I'm, I'm doing this light tonight because next Friday we're going to have an, a real expert talk about this um, from Chosen People. But this article begins, um, two years after the Pittsburgh synagogue massacre, the oldest hatred is flourishing across the political spectrum. On October 27, 2018, a man armed with a semi-automatic rifle and three pistols entered Pittsburgh's Tree of Life synagogue and murdered 11 congregants. In addition to raging anti-Semitism, the killer had a more immediate motive, fury that the synagogue had participated in the National Refugees Shabbat, sponsored by the humanitarian group, um, the Hebrew Immigrant Aid Society, but I guess it's called HIAS now. HIAS likes to bring invaders in that kill our people, he wrote on a social network. I can't sit by and watch my people get slaughtered. Screw your optics. I'm going in. The killer's immigration obsession emerging from the same bonfire of bigotries that President Trump had stoked for years led many people, including me, to conclude that the president could not be excused from what had happened in Pittsburgh. Anti-Semitism flourishes when, ad when, when adjacent hatreds of globalists, corporate media, Hollywood, and so on cease to be taboo. Anti-Semitism also flourishes when the purveyors of these ad <laughs> how do you say that adjacencies cease to be disreputable yeah what goes for the right and its ug uglier obsessions goes also for the left in ways the left is sometimes loath to recognize there are writers who strain to make the case that anti-Zionism cannot be conflated with anti-Semitism, but when a gunman murders four French Jews in a Paris market in part because he's mad about the plight of Palestinians, it becomes clear that anti-Zionism can bleed into anti-Semitism. There are left-wing party leaders who think a public mural depicting elderly bankers playing Monopoly on the backs of naked figures is just a critique of... Um, <laughs> what he said capitalism you know i pick these articles you would think that i would pick like super easy words to read <laughs> whatever anyway those who notice the prominent noses on the bankers have reason to think otherwise there are there are cultural arbiters ready to cancel anyone's careers over bigotry except when say the rapper ice cube or the nfl player deshaun jackson or the nba player stephen jackson post anti-Semitic messages on social media. Given the new wokefulness in Hollywood in the sports world, we, ex we expected more passionate public outrage. The basketball legend Kareem Abdul-Jabbar sharply observed last summer, what we got was a shrug of meh rage. There are magazine editors who are racing to live down a reputation for indifference to or worse perpetuate per per wait. You, got, you have it. Per <laughs> Perpetuation. Yes. Did I do it? Yeah, thank you. I feel so good about myself right now. Yeah. Of racism inside their publications. By the way, I should say, in case you're curious, um, 
I have a very high level of reading comprehension. It's just that I don't speak well when it comes to reading out loud, but I do understand what I read. It's just saying it that can be hard. But anyway, because when I was a child, I had a speech impediment and it was really hard for me to say certain things. And I had speech therapy I had to go through. And, and anyway, <sighs> but when one of those same magazine publishes a flattering profile of Louis Farrakhan devotee Tamika Mallory with pious intention, attention to her social activism, but no mention of her acceptance of Farrakhan's anti-Semitism, it passes without comment or objection on the left. And you know what? That is so true because I know so many liberals and 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 I'm just saying liberal in the sense because people are liberal. Um, you know, I know a lot of liberals who are anti-Semites. Jimmy Carter, by the way, who is one of our presidents of the past, is one of the most well-known anti-Semites in the world. And yet he's a Christian. So my question is, how can you be a Christian and be an anti-Semite? How can you hate Jewish people? Um, I know so many people who are on the left that hate Jewish people. Um, and they hate Christians who they call Zionists because the Zionists support Israel, in case you're curious about that. Why do you think America is hated? It's because of Israel and our support of Israel. Anyway. Uh, there are leading left-wing political activists who claim that Israel is built on the idea that Jews are supreme to everyone else, implying that any form of Zionism, including progressive Zionism, is inherently sympathetic to white supremacy. But when a Jewish undergraduate is hounded off a student council, impeach her Zionist but according to the social media campaign against her, she may understandably wonder whether the horary equivalence of Zionism and racism hasn't become another pretext to target Jews. The list goes on. In the months after the Pittsburgh massacre, I sometimes heard the argument that Jews had far more to fear from the anti-Semitism of the Charlottesville right, which after all had led to the shedding of human blood in Pittsburgh and later at a synagogue in Poway, California, than from the anti-Semitic microaggressions from other quarters. Mainstream media reports added to the perception that the rise in hate crimes, including crimes against Jews, was overwhelmingly a function of right-wing hate. But then a tsunami, see, I could say that word, <laughs> of anti-Semitic assaults came crashing down on the Orthodox communities in New York, largely per perpetrated by young men of color, according to the Times. And then five people were murdered in two separate terrorist attacks in Jersey City and Monsee, New York. In neither of these fatal attacks against Jews were white supremacists involved. All of this should serve as a stark reminder that when it comes to anti-Semitism, neither left nor right nor black nor white has any kind of monopoly. No less important, no side is free of political leanings that are, if not anti-Semitic, then perilously close to it. The Trumpian right's obsession with border walls, protective tariffs, and drastic cuts to legal immigration is a vehicle for a toxic brand of American nationalism that over time cannot bode well for American Jews. See, right here, that is such a load of crap, what I just read. I mean, earlier when the person, like, anyway, this is clearly written by a liberal, but whatever. Anyway, 
But the left's fetish with pyramids of privilege and intersections of oppression is just as toxic, if not more, considering the broad success of American Jews in the ladders of educational, economic, and cultural attainment. Whenever the success or merit of a minority group turns into a presumption of social guilt, whether it was the Asian community in Indi Amin's Uganda, the Chinese in Suharto's Indonesia, or Jews in Weimar, Germany, the consequences tend to be catastrophic. Two years ago, a once unthinkable attack became an all-too-thinkable possibility for every synagogue in America. In itself, Pittsburgh should serve as a permanent reminder of how easily the politics of demonizing immigrants can lead to killing Jews. But the broader lesson is that any ideology that borders on anti-Semitism can easily descend toward it, and anyone who isn't calling out his own side as much as the other side as the other speeds that descent. You know, <clears throat> um, what I will say here is. You know what drives me crazy? Okay, so one thing that completely drives me crazy is when somebody commits a crime. I don't care who it is. Let's say, um, I don't know. Let's let's say some, I don't know. Somebody commits a crime, okay? And people die. What drives me crazy is that the people like sometimes that commit these crimes, they will, they will leave uh, a manifesto or something. And in the manifesto, they'll say specifically what it was, why they did it. But the media will go, well, you know, said manifesto, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and the next thing you know, they're blaming everybody and their grandmother from Turkey, you know, except the dude that actually did it. That's what drives me nuts. It drives me crazy. It's like, how are we supposed to teach people personal responsibility? Like, hey, you know, if you commit the crime, you do the time. You know what I'm saying? If if you're the one that was drinking and driving and you ran over somebody and killed them, I'm sorry, but you were the one that made the choice to get in the car drunk and you hit the person. So, yeah, even if it wasn't intentional, there's still some type of penalty to pay for it, um, you know. And you don't think it's the fault of alcohol distillers and, and the way it's marketed and 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 the mystique that goes with automobiles and no and okay no but that that's a great example because like when somebody comes does mass shooting rather than blame the person that pulled the trigger, trigger. they blame the gun and then right. they try to ban our guns yeah. right yeah. What are your thoughts on this article? Well, I like that he's, you know, even though even though he mischaracterizes the right and just, just a little bit, just a little, he lays the blame in the left too. Yeah. you know, the the left will give a pass to anti-Semitism if it's from people of color because you know we don't want to, you know, if it comes from, I'm not going to say anything about you know from uh, famous Islamics or anything like that. You know, it's you know, if 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 anti-Semitic language is coming from, you know, somebody who's woke or you know whatever, then then it gets a pass, and rightfully says that's even more dangerous than the aggressive anti-Semitism, because you're giving it a pass and allowing it to to grow, 
uh, when it's out there in the open. I mean, anti-Semitism is not good. Anti any any kind of racial, you know, any kind of hatred for someone based on race or hatred for anybody based on anything is is not right. Um, but yeah, at least when it's open, you know, you can. Uh, you know, it's easy to recognize, but when it's, when it gets a pass, you know, then it's just allowed to grow the more, you know, it's basically saying we're indifferent to it. If it comes from certain people, we're indifferent to it, but it comes from people we don't like already, right? then we'll say something about it, because, but it's coming from people that we like, then we can give it a pass. And so at the end of the day, you're giving anti-Semitism a pass. And uh, that's that's more dangerous. That's more insidious. And so I'm thumbs up on there. You know. By the way, hi Jerry that. over on on Facebook. By the way, have you guys noticed I'm speaking to the mic more? Aren't you happy? <laughs> All right. Let me read this last article from the Washington Post. Um, and this this article really bothers me for so many reasons. But anyway, um, and this was written. I'm not sure what day, November 3rd, so about 10 days ago. All right, so this is titled Trump and MAGA, also meaning Make America Great Again, spray painted on gravestones in Michigan Jewish Cemetery. It says here, the red spray painted letters were first spotted on Monday morning, scrawled on the tombstones in a century-old Jewish cemetery in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Trump... They combined to read across several headstones. Two more grave sites displayed another message in red graffiti, MAGA. This act of vandalism at uh, Ahavas Israel Cemetery, discovered hours before President Trump arrived across town to stage his final rally of the campaign, has rattled the tight-knit Jewish community in western Michigan's largest city. The crime is being investigated by law enforcement officials, according to the Anti-Defamation League. By the way, Pay attention. Near the end of a bitter, divisive presidential campaign, the desecration marks yet another instance of political tensions apparently producing ugly and sometimes violent attacks. In Florida and the Berkshires, yard signs have been bulldozed and lit on fire. In Boston and Southern California, ballot drop-off boxes have been burned to the ground. Across the country, dueling political rallies and protests have devolved into physical confrontations. Tensions are high, and everyone is on alert for all kinds of difficulties. Carolyn uh, Norm Normandin, the ADL's Michigan Regional Director, told the Washington Post, but this in particular is heinous because it's awful to know that somebody would disturb grave sites. It's just not okay. While Normandin caused, cautioned rather, against labeling the incident as an act of anti-Semitism without more information, she called the incident disgusting and vile. It's hard to know what's going on in the minds of anyone who would attack a gravesite, she added. It's a personal attack on an individual who can't do anything about it. The Ava, I don't know if I'm saying that right. Ahavas. 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 Say that again. Ahavas. Ahavas. Do you know what it means? Yeah, Ahava is, is love. Love. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Israel so Cemetery. Which, be which belongs to a conservative synagogue of the same name, sits in a leafy residential part of Grand Rapids near Catholic, Lithuanian, American, and, and city-run graveyards. 
the 125 year old congregation uh, say that again Ahavaz. Ahavaz. today i'm learning how to speak people yeah i am this is hebrew right yes okay israel is one of just a handful of synagogues in Grand Rapids where the Jewish population totals about 1,000 people. It has not been long since the community last faced a hateful attack. Last year, an extremist neo-Nazi group hung anti-Semitic posters on the outside of a nearby reform synagogue, including one that read, A Crusade Against Semite-Led Subhumans. Nationally and statewide reports of such attacks are also on the rise. More than 2,100 anti-Semitic incidences were reported to the ADL in 2019, up 12% from the previous year, and setting a record since the organization began tracking the data four decades ago. Reports to the ADL of anti-Semitic incidents in Michigan doubled from 2018 to 2019. The vandalism at Ahavas Israel Cemetery was first spotted around 8 a.m. Monday by a congregation member. At least six tombstones were defaced with the graffiti, Normandin said, and the incident was promptly reported to local law enforcement officials as well as her own organization. Grand Rapids Police did not immediately respond to a request for comment from the Post. David J.B. Krishef, the rabbi at Ahavas Israel, told the Jewish Telegraphic Agency that it was unclear if the vandalism was an attack on the Jewish community. It's Halloween, it's Halloween weekend. There was nothing spray-painted with that indicated anything specifically anti-Semitic, he said. Whoever did this may or may not have known this was a Jewish cemetery. But liberal groups were swift to seize the incident. Too bad. Make no mistake, this heinous act was committed on the eve of the 2020 election to send an intimidating message to the president's opponents and particularly Jewish voters, Michigan Jewish Democrats said in a statement, adding that such an effort would not keep them from the polls. Hours after the vandalism was discovered, Trump arrived at Gerald R. Ford International Airport, speaking before a crowd of thousands of supporters in the Michigan suburbs that could prove decisive in this year's election. In the 2016, before he won the state by a razor-thin margin, Trump also staged his final campaign rally in Grand Rapids. I'm not going to read the rest of this because it's it doesn't matter, but I am now drooling, so I need to stop that. But here, here's... Anyway, so why did I read that? Okay, I'll tell you why I read this article, because um, this is what I think. Okay, and you can you can tell me if you agree with me or not. I think this was an attack on President Trump. I don't really think it had anything to do with anti-Semitism. Yes, it was in a it was in a Jewish cemetery, but I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it has everything to do with trying to malign Trump. That's what I think. Um, and the the reason, first of all, it's, it's this is the Washington Post, okay, which is far left. Um, the other article I read was the New York Times far left, right? I mean, you have this this media. But in my years doing this program and reading articles, um, you know, there's this, the headline. You got to look at, okay, I don't know if you know anything about journalism. I know a little bit. So the headline, first of all, the headline, Trump and MAGA spray painted on gravestones in Michigan Jewish Cemetery. So what's the first thing you think of? Donald Trump. Who do you... Want to blame Donald Trump? <laughs> the first thing you want to do is hate Donald Trump because you saw that. What? Because they, 
because the spray painted. So the assumption, even though people won't just say it, but I will, is that it was a Trump supporter that did it. Okay. Now, this whole article, though, doesn't really, really talk about the whole anti-Semitism thing. I'm not really. They can't prove it. Duh. I mean, because that's the thing, right? Okay. So when I cover gay activism, as an example, hate crimes against the gay community, just as an example, right? Sometimes you'll, you'll, you'll see a big headline, gay person beaten to death, you know, by a hate crime, right? And then that'll be the headline. And then you'll read the article and, you know, like with Matthew Shepard, right? You know, Matthew Shepard was beaten to death by, you know, people who hated gay people. He was murdered brutally and, you know, and all that, Right. Right? I mean, that's what you've been told. There's millions of articles about it, and I don't mean that figuratively. That's literally pretty much the truth. But that wasn't the case, actually. Matthew Shepard was in a bad drug deal, gone bad, and he was murdered by somebody in the community. It wasn't anti-gay hate crime at all. It's been completely documented um, that that was a flat-out lie. Um, and, but yet, like Charlie Roberts, this woman that we've talked about ad nauseum many years ago, who committed a hate crime against herself, um, but the whole gay community got behind her and was like, yeah, we're, you know, all you, all you anti-gay people, you're of the devil. And, you know, I mean, they would never say that, but they, you know, you guys are, you, you're haters and, but, but only come back to find out that it was somebody in their own community that did that. Now I'm not saying here that Jewish people would do this to themselves because they wouldn't, right? I mean, the, the Jews have been persecuted throughout history. Why? Because they're God's chosen people. Because the Messiah was coming through that Jewish line, the line of David. That's why. And that's why today the Jews are still persecuted. Because see, Jesus is coming back. Right? Now, if you understand the word of God, Jesus is coming back to Israel. Yeah, he is. But the Antichrist has to come power first. That's going to take place. Yeah, it will. And, uh, and the Jewish temple is going to have to be desecrated by the Antichrist sitting in that temple. And um, the whole world is going to hate the Jews. And the whole world is going to turn against Israel, including America. That will happen because it's biblical. It's going to happen. Nobody wants it to happen, but it will happen. Right? This is why the politics of America under President Barack Hussein Obama and how much he hated Israel... Um, my friends at Israel 365, when Obama was president, they hated him because Obama was no friend to Israel. Donald Trump became president. He put the embassy there in Jerusalem. They absolutely love Donald Trump over there because Trump respects Israel. He understands the role of Israel. Um, and we should too. And if you look back to 9-11, the reason why we were attacked was because of Israel. Why? Because of our, quote, Zionist support of Israel. Um, <clears throat> Israel is very important. Uh, because, because of Jesus, ultimately. I mean, that's ultimately it. So people hate the Jewish people uh, because of that. And, uh, you know, as some, some people say, I feel like I'm going all over the map here, but some people say that, okay, in every generation, there's a Hitler out there, you know, ready to slaughter the Jews. Yeah. Pretty much. And Christians. I mean, right now, Christians are being persecuted at the highest level of persecution in the history of the world. Although you're not seeing it anywhere in the media. 
because they don't want you to know about it. But I remember talking to my friend um, Emmanuel Ogebe with Jubilee Campaign a couple years ago. And I've shared this before, but in Nigeria, in one day, 700 churches were destroyed in Nigeria. Not one little peep on the media about it. Nope, can't have that because if we did, then that wouldn't be good. You know. Mm. So, <clears throat> so, um, and then here's the other thing. The other thing is within the church, there is anti-Semitism in the church and it, it's, it, it is fueled by people like Jimmy Carter. Okay. Pr former retired president. I don't know what you call him. Past president, Jimmy Carter. Um, you know, who's a Democrat. Um, he completely hates the Jews. He's an anti-Semite to the nth degree. Um, <clears throat> And they, they have no respect or anything for, for Israel. And then there's a faction in the church um, where people believe in Reformed theology, which is basically a replacement theology. Well, it's Reformed, really. It's Reformed replacement theology, which is basically where they teach that the church replaces Israel in Scripture. But that is so, like, unbiblical. All you got to do is read Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And if you, if you can read that and understand it, the, then you can see that there is no, the church doesn't replace Israel. In fact, when you read the Gospels, if you understand the scripture in the Jewish context in which it's written, there's a very clear delineation between the church and Israel, you know, um, and I could go on forever about that, but it's nine after eight. But just know that the devil is alive and well. And um, I just want to urge you to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to pray for Israel. You know, right now America's in a, in a tipping point. And I'm going to tell you something. Israel is a big part of that tipping point that nobody is talking about. Because with what happens to America here, that's totally going to impact our relationship with Israel. And um, if America gets a president that doesn't like Israel and doesn't like her, doesn't want to work over there with the people over there and support her, then I believe God's judgment is going to come harder down on this country. I mean, I already think God's judging our country as it is. But... You know, we have some bumpy days ahead if that comes to pass because, um, you know, just saying. But at the same time, I will say, again, we have the greatest opportunity in the history of the world right now to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, because Jesus is alive. Yeah, he is. Jesus loves you. Yes, he does. And nobody wants you to say that. But you know what? I'm here to declare it. Because I'm bold. I'm going to stand up. And I'm going to go with God, people. Because he loves me. You know what he saved me from? Death. He saved me from being murdered by my family. He, I mean, he saved me from stuff I can't even tell you. That's why I love him so much. And I know he saved you from something, too. 
And you know what? I want to challenge you. And I, I wrote this over on my Facebook page. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go back over here really quick because you know there's this uh, thing going on right now in the world of network marketing. Eric Worre is out there doing this uh, recruiting thingy, and he's having all these people in the world of network marketing post a picture of themselves, and people are like, "I'm just curious. Can you tell me three words about me that you know when you see my picture, tell me three words." Blah blah. This type of stuff drives me crazy. It really does. Because it completely goes against Proverbs 27, verse 2, which says, let another man praise you, a stranger, and not your own lips, right? I am never going to fish for a compliment. I don't need them. I don't need your compliments. I feel good about myself <laughs> without them. But hey, if you want to compliment me, that's great. I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm not going to reject a compliment, but I'm not going to fish for a compliment either. Um, but because I saw that and it, and it bothered me, I, I wrote, last night on my Facebook page, when you think of Jesus, what three words come to mind? Because I thought, you know what, that's, this is about Christ. So I'm going to, I had 48 comments on this. And I got to read you some of these because listen to this. Peaceful, accepting, sacrifice. Please come quickly. Peace, deliverance, salvation, clarity, warmth, and home. My best friend, Savior, protector, holy, love, grace, salvation, savior, healer, best friend, savior, gateway to heaven, prince of peace, savior, father, comfort, rise up and walk, peace, love, miracles, salvation, compassion, hope, patience, teacher, healer, God incarnate, savior, Lord and savior, savior, Lord and king, I love you. God, Savior, Heaven, thank you, Lord, Teacher, Savior, Friend, Lord, God, Savior, Savior, Friend, God, King of Kings, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Savior, Love, Lord, Way, Truth, Life, Savior, Suffering, Love, Love, Friend, Peace, L Grace, Love, and Pain, Saved by Grace, Savior, Healed, and Eternal Life, Love, Strength, Salvation, Life, love, eternal, love, eternity, understanding, love, peace, forgiveness, grace, love, and salvation, peace, love, and forgiveness, deliverer, love, and savior, salvation, grace, redemption, love, sacrifice, and forgiveness, protector, honor, trust, trust, rock, comfort, defender, thank you, God, wonderful counselor, mighty God, grace, forgiveness, love. And my last comment was from my friend Marguerite, who wrote Walking on Water. So if these, you know, the number one word there that, that was repeated more than anything, I think, I haven't counted them, but based on what I just read, it was Savior. You know, Jesus is our Savior. But even more importantly, he's our Lord. You know, in Revelation, it talks about how if we read the book of Revelation and we heed the words of that book, we will get a special blessing. What it is, it's a mystery. Don't know. have no idea what that is. But what we can know is that it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. There is nowhere where you can hide from his spirit. You can flee from his presence. 
because he loves you. And so in a world today that is trying to tell you to look everywhere but him, I'm going to be countercultural and tell you to look to Jesus. Say his name. Say you're sorry for what you did. And accept the gift that he wants to give you. Which in some cases, maybe for some of you, is a brand new life. Maybe you're, you have never been born again. Maybe you have never actually received Jesus as your Savior. Maybe you've never even heard that he loves you before until right now. If that's you, just so you know, it's true. He loves you. All you got to do is believe it. Cry out to him. Tell him whatever it is you need to tell him and ask him to reveal himself to you. And he will. For some of you, maybe you're struggling with the fact that you know that you're doing stuff you shouldn't be doing and you're really struggling. You're feeling like a piece of crap because you keep doing it and you're blowing it and you are afraid to tell anybody because you're in, you're in shame and you hate it because that's just what it is. I've been there. I get it. And to you, I would say, you know what? He already knows. L-R-O-I, the God who sees, he sees you. And you know what? He loves you. He isn't going to condemn you because he loves you. So to you, I would say, you're not going to ever get saved by your works or your behavior. You're saved by grace. That's it. You, you're saved by grace, not, not from works. Because if you were saved by works, then you could boast about how great you are. But Bible says that you're not saved by works so that no man could boast. It's a free gift of God. So again, it's like the gift. There's a gift waiting for you to take. And I don't know about you, but one of my love languages is gifts. If you, if you really want to get on my good side, give me a gift. <laughs> I, I love gifts. It's probably evident to people because I love to give gifts. And I love, you know, words of affirmation. I love cards. I, I just love to, I love just to give because it's so fun. And there's so much joy in and giving a gift because, you know what, like some of us have a hard time. I actually have a hard time receiving gifts, to be honest with you. I feel very completely uncomfortable. Um, I would much rather give than get, than get, but, you know, I, you know, but I've had to learn, right? I've had to learn to go, oh, okay, yeah, okay. Um, and, and just believe that I'm worthy of it because I grew up believing that I was not worth anything and that the whole world hated me and, you know. Um, but the free gift of God, you guys, is eternal life, man. Eternal life. You know, people, people die because they don't have any hope about where they're going. They think this life is awful and many times it is awful, right? But God gives us the free gift of eternal life. Oh my gosh. And we get eternal life. It's free. I mean, Jesus paid for it. It's like, hey. Yep, there is a free ticket for you for eternal life. I don't know about you, but that is a good thing. That is like the best deal ever. In fact, this week, I have to tell you something that's kind of funny. So I got this thing in the mail uh, for, from a car dealership. It's, it's this cheesy, like scammy type ad. And it's one of these ones that says, if you scratch here and you get the symbol and it matches the different prize you could win. And so I scratched it and, and there was three crowns and it said that I won 2,500 bucks. 
I was like, yes, God provided. Yeah, he did. I got 2,500 bucks. So I brought it to Randall after I read the fine print. Cause I was like, yeah, this is probably too good to be true. <laughs> I'm reading the fine print to make sure that it's, you know, legit or whatever. So I brought, I brought it to Randall. I said, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, I think it's probably a scam. And I said, yeah, I kind of think so too. But you know, what if we went down to the car dealership anyway? You know, and and I was seriously considering it, right? I mean, because I thought, well, maybe it really is a, you know, a legit thing. So Randall, you know, he found some stuff and, and all that. Well, I had already filled in the, the form from the thing. And so I put my phone number and my email into the website and uh, hoping for the best, right? Then I get this email um, and I was like, okay, great. Unsubscribe. And then yesterday, I get this phone call from this guy. This is a true story. I get this call. I answer the phone because I answer all my calls for the most part. I'm like, hello. And he's like, hello, this is so-and-so dealership, blah, blah, blah. We saw that you you have your uh, uh, confirmation for this prize. Will you be coming down to the dealership? And I said, nope. <laughs> and just like that, I said, nope, I won't be. And the guy is like, Oh, okay. Then he hung up on me. And I thought, I thought, can you, I, I was so like, I was like, what a, <laughs> like, I was so tempted to call him back and go, really? Seriously? You know, which, you know, that just told me all I needed to know was that, you know, it's a scam to get me in there and stuff. So there was really nothing free about that gift, but the free gift of eternal life is awesome. You know, and you know what comes with it? Here's the here's the best part. This is like a bow on top of it, right? We are forgiven. Yeah, we are. I don't know about you. If you've ever hurt somebody and you felt really bad and you're really repentant and you asked for forgiveness and that person's like, I'm never going to forgive you. I hate you the rest of your life. I wish you were dead and they spit on you. Right? Have you ever had that happen? People like, nope. You're dead to me. And you walk away and you're like, What do I do? I tried to make it right. And I want reconciliation and they won't give it to me. They don't know how I think at night. They don't know how I feel. They don't know that I've cried a million tears because I wish I could do it over. Because they won't forgive me. It's sad, isn't it? Because you really were contrite. You really meant it. And you really were trying to make it better. But they wouldn't forgive you. So you walk around with this grief and the sadness because people are like, you know, you just wish you could do it over.
but they won't let you. And people lose hope because of that. Some people give up on God because of it, because it happens in the church. But Jesus has forgiven you. And he will always forgive you. Because the Bible says, you know what? He is near to the brokenhearted and the contrite in spirit. And a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. That's what love is. That's what he has given us. So that his love is poured into our hearts. So that when we, like that woman caught in adultery, were given like, like, the death sentence was taken away like that. And we can go out, we can share the good news. That's why it's good news. Because Jesus really is all you need. And he really is who he says he is. And he demonstrated all that love for us while he was yet on the cross. He died for us while we were yet enemies. He died for us. And he loves us. All he wants to do is come into your life and have a personal, really deep, intimate relationship with you. That's it. And, um, and, and so may I just say, if you're in that spot where you're like, Lord, I don't believe Stacey Lynn. I, I think she's crazy. Well, you know what? God knows. He understands. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. He made me. Uh, and well, you know, you're tuning in for a reason, right? Okay. So, uh, or let's just say you're like, yeah, Stacey Lynn, I get it. Yeah. You know what? I'm, I am going to go out and I'm going to start talking about Jesus and how great he is. Turn off the news. I'm going to talk about Christ because he loves me and he, he loves you and he can change my life. I'll tell you what, um, I'm in this Bible study, uh, with Pam, you guys, I, you know, I had Pam on last week or something. We're in Judges. And today I was doing this question. Um, there was this question about, it had something to do with, um, um, what is a, a lesson or, or something like, okay, it had to do with partial disobedience. I think that's what it was. What happens when people... No, that wasn't it. it. It had to do with, there's so much in my head. It had to do with um, uh, when a generation forgets God, what happens? And I was thinking about that because cause Judges is, talks a little bit about that. So now I don't know about you, but I was not raised in a Christian home. My mom and dad were Catholic until they got thrown out of the Catholic church. My mom didn't take us to church after that. It was like, you know, I was seven. That was it. Bum, I'm gone. I don't get to go to church. Um, I didn't have that heritage. So I had no knowledge of God. I didn't know who he was. Nobody told me. It is 2020. I went to high school in 1983, 84, 85, and 86. Graduated in 86. I became a Christian around 83, 80, 80, around 83. 
I don't know the exact date, so I, I can't tell you the exact date, but I was a freshman in high school. And it wasn't until I heard the gospel in high school in the 80s that I was like, oh, now I get this. This is cool. So I got a Bible. I was reading it. It totally made sense. I was like, ah, how come nobody ever told me about this? But here's the thing. The generations in my family prior to me hearing the gospel, the behavior in my family of origin, completely ungodly. I mean, completely, you know, you can pretty much name every vice under the sun in my family background. It has it. And so what was the consequence of laying aside God's word is the consequence was me being abused. Number one, uh, not a whole lot of love in the family, alcoholism, abuse, incest, pornography, you name it. It's been there, right? Divorce. You know, you look at that and you, in. And it's like, okay, if this is what you're brought up in, this is what you know. And this is why these things perpetuate. This is why understanding, like when I was a therapist, um, if you if you look at the um, the uh, family systems, so family systems theory is this theory that you know there are systems and you have patterns within these systems. You know, and this happens everywhere in business. It happens in the church. It, ha- it happens anywhere there's people and there's groups. You have a system of how things run. Well, in my family system, this was the pattern, you know, alcoholic grandmother, alcohol, dry alcoholic mother, <laughs> you know, alcoholic dad, uh, alcoholic stepfather, you know, anyway, you get the picture. It's just this pattern that keeps repeating until... Somebody comes in and breaks that, that curse. And for me, my motivating factor when I became a Christian was, you know what? I'm going to therapy. I'm going to go to therapy because I need help. And I, if I have children, I don't want them to be all screwed up with an ungodly mom and an ungodly dad doing the same stuff that happened to me. And I'll tell you what, I spent about 15 years in therapy. A long time. <laughs> uh, I spent about 15 years in my personal therapy, and I have spent about 15 years as a therapist. Uh, so I've spent a lot of time in therapy. Um, and God saw fit. I mean, you know, I don't know if it was his will or not, but I don't have children. I wasn't able to bear children. I had a uterine cancer scare, so I had to not have kids. Broke my heart, devastated me. Probably one of the hardest things ever in my life I've had to work through is that loss. The loss of a dream, the loss of, you know, what would my little kid look like with, would it have Randall's hair in my eyes? I, you know, I mean, all the, all the dreams, right? And I used to think it was for nothing. Like all that, all that recovery I went through was for nothing. You know, yeah, that's for nothing. You know, I don't have kids passed down a good godly generation to darn it. Cause you know, rah, 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 you know, and, and I struggled with it. I was like, Oh, you know what? This is like unbelievable. And, and like, so was it all worth it? And I'm here to tell you absolutely 100% it was worth it. Because you know what? God needs his people. And he needs the power of him in his people to testify. We're a living epistle to the world. 
And if people can look at you as a Christian and go, there's somebody with joy. There's somebody with peace. There's somebody who loves other people. There's somebody who cares about somebody. You know, there's somebody, by the way, who isn't drinking. They're not taking alcohol in to soothe their problem. There's somebody who isn't, you know, chowing down alcohol or whatever. You know, I mean, there's somebody who's got something. I wonder what it is. But it's not a something. It's a person. It's a person. We have a relationship with the king of the universe, the guy that created us. You know, he knit us together in our mom's womb. We were fearfully and wonderfully made people. Yeah, we were. And what I can tell you is that that is so cool. So here, here's how I want to end the show because I, I know I'm going over. But here's the thing. You know what? Walk in the spirit and f- be filled up with love and joy. And get out there and share Jesus with somebody because you know what? He came in and changed my life. He definitely changed your life if you're a believer. And you need to start telling people that. You need to start telling people about Jesus Christ who came to set the captives free because he loves you and he loves the whole world and he didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And right now, a whole bunch of people think the world is about ready to explode and blow up. But you know what? Jesus is coming back. And what our job is, is to get as many people on his side as possible. So let me ask you this. Are you with me? Are you with me? Do you want to bring more people to heaven? I hope so. The best way to do it is to get in the word of God and let the word of God get into you and pray for people. Go out there, love people, and just to be bold in your faith. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And he will guide you. He'll provide for you. He'll make you you. And he'll exalt himself and he'll never fail you. He'll never leave you. He'll never lie to you. And he will never, ever, 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 ever pull the rug out from under you. And he'll never make you look stupid, just so you know. So with that said, I hope you have a good night. And uh, thanks for tuning in. I, I hope, I really do hope you have a good night. You guys, be bold, stand up, and go, people with God, because he loves you.